leave a garden in the backyard, which we thought was a brilliant idea when we bought the house. Because you know, who doesn't like fresh vegetables right out of the garden? It, was, it seems like such a great idea. Um, but what we have found out is that here in Pullman, you know, tomatoes and carrots and cucumbers, they don't grow naturally here. You guys notice this? Have you tried? It's like it is not their natural bent. So I mean, you really have to like encourage them. You have to be out there talking to them and watering them and giving them nutrients and talking to them some more and keeping the bugs and the animals away. They don't naturally grow here. You know what naturally grows here in Pullman? It's not even wheat. Wheat doesn't naturally grow here. We have to spray those suckers so hard with pesticides to keep them alive. No, weeds. Weeds are the only thing that naturally grows in Pullman, I think. And, and maybe zucchini. We did manage to get some gigantic zucchini. That's a whole nother story. I hate zucchini. But wheat doesn't even grow, like, naturally here. It takes so much effort, so much work, so much, uh, you know, all this spraying and stuff to make it happen. Weeds are the only thing that grows naturally here. And so that's what's happened to our garden. It like you, you turn you turn away from it for 15 seconds and boom, it's full of weeds. I mean, and we're talking neck high. You go out there and it's thistles that just tear up your skin. It's milkweed that makes me sneeze and my eyes are all watery and my skin puffs up. I have to take a shower just walking through the garden afterward. And then you get the bindweed, which looks like morning glory. You've got pretty little white flowers and it winds up everything. And I mean, there's just weeds out there choking out everything. So every year we have to like, constantly be pulling out piles, I mean literally piles, over 2,000 pounds of yard debris last year out of my yard. I, I measured, I asked every time I went through the dump, over 2,000 pounds of weeds we took away and that was without actually gardening. We got zero vegetables and 2,000 pounds of weeds. <sighs> you guys impressed? Like I've got weed growing skills I think is what I've got. That sounds different in this culture than it does in other cultures so we'll just leave it at that. Not that kind of weed, Jamie Hawes. I know what you were thinking. So we got all these weeds. They're growing everywhere. But so when we would garden, though, the fun part was, right, you get it all clear. You till the soil. It's beautiful. It's like dark soil. And you go out there and you make little mounds. You put in your seeds. And then I would go out there every day, right, just every day after work. I'd go, on, I'm going to go up to the garden and see how things are doing. And, and I'm watching for those little leaves to pop up. You know that moment when those little green leaves pop up out of the ground? If you've ever gotten it's like the most satisfying moment. When you see these little, little green leaves. Yay, new little green leaves coming up. And I go get Heidi. Heidi, you got to come up. This whole row of them coming up. And I'm like, look at this one. Oh, look, and they're even growing over here and over here and over here. She's like, those are weeds. How do you know? They look exactly the same. These two things, look uh, they're identical, a weed and a, and a sweet pea or a, a, a whatever, not a sweet pea, just a pea pea. Um, they all look the same to me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start pulling up. She's like, no, 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 you can't pull them up yet. I'm like, why? Because if you pull them up, you're going to pull up the roots of the, the plants that are right next to it. Like the zucchini I planted right there, you pull up that weed, you're going to kill the zucchini. Now, I, had, I have to admit, I did have to pause for a minute there, and I thought about pulling that weed out. But I didn't. I left it, and we grew giant zucchini. It's difficult to understand when you're in the gardens here what's a weed and what's a seed. What's a weed and what's a seed? And that actually, that whole distraction, that whole rabbit trail I went on last week as I was listening to Heidi talking about soil, it was really God speaking to me, which is an interesting thing that happens in sermons. Sometimes you get distracted and you're like, oh, I'm going to focus on my knitting or, oh, I'm drawing this cartoon. Sometimes you get distracted and it's literally God speaking to you because I've had people come to me saying, when you said this in your sermon the other day, God was just all over that and so speaking to me and I'm looking at him like, I didn't say that. <laughs> like, 
I said, nothing like that. That's like a whole, you, whose church were you at? And, and, but it's Jesus speaking to you. And that's what happens. And that's what God did to me last week. He brought to mind weeds and seeds. And that's where we're at in our sermon series on remnant. The remnant. We, we're living in a time when the church is shrinking for so many reasons. And weeds are one of them. Weeds in the church. See, the remnant, as we've been talking about, it's, it's the word literally means the remains, the leftovers of what, you know, what's left after some sort of disaster or after a collapse or after culture shifts and changes. But in the church, we're talking about ordinary people of extraordinary devotion. You're extraordinarily devoted to Jesus, not just coming and to your disciplines, but to Jesus himself. And out of that flows this devotion to disciplines. And you're more proficient, practiced, than you are gifted. It's not that we're these highfalutin, flashy, gifted people, but we're people that stay with Jesus no matter what. You know, and actually throughout history, when you read church history, the remnant, you and me, were really seen as the heartbeat of the church. We, we are the, the beating heart of the church locally and globally. And there will always, always be a remnant, as Heidi said, because God has placed our desire for him in our heart. So there will always be some of us looking, longing, sticking with, pursuing Jesus. And the images we've looked at have been really interesting. We've looked at these images. There's some pictures up here of the images. You know, we started with a mother and child where God is looking at his people and saying, I love you as though I birthed you. I loved you as though I knitted you together in my own womb. This is this mother and child image where God professes his love for us in an undying way, a way that doesn't change, a way that only a mother can love their child. And then we looked at the bride and the groom. It was the next image in Isaiah where God's desire is for us. His desire is to rescue us. And he's not really concerned about how things look in the moment. He's not really concerned about how messed up the bride is because he sees the beautiful spotless bride of Revelation that he is drawing toward him and changing and transforming so that when we come to him at the end of the age, we will be pure and spotless and he will marry us. And we're not dressed up in righteousness only but he's also dressed us in faithfulness. He's given us the ability to stick with him. And then last week, Heidi looked at seeds and soil, that God is the seed planter, and our work in that is to tend to our soil. And this week is weeds, wheat and weeds. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. See, Jesus didn't leave the weeds out of his teaching when he taught on soils and when he taught on gardening. Matthew has Jesus teaching about these weeds and wheat right after the parable of the soils, which is what Heidi taught last week. And then after that is the parable of the mustard seeds. So we keep going with this gardening theme. And I want you to know that the more I studied this text, the more I went back to the, the sermon that I heard a few years ago, um, the more I, I listened to what Jesus was saying here, the more uh, anxious I got about sharing this the more like, why did I get myself into this? Why did I decide to preach this passage of all passages? It, it's, it's, it's a little bit upsetting. It's a little bit scary and disconcerting. But there's good news in it, and so we're going to go there anyway. All right, so let's read the text, Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses 24 through 30. Matthew 13, 24. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. 
So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared as well. Remember my garden? The plants were coming up, but so were the weeds. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather, all the, gather them up? He's talk, they're talking about the weeds. But the master replies, No, for in gathering the weeds you will uproot the wheat along with them. Don't pull up the weeds or take the zucchini out. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. And as scary as it sounds, let's say thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus, I pray that as we talk about this passage, um, first and foremost, you would wake us up. God, you would wake us up to what you're doing in the world. You would wake us up to your action in our hearts. You would wake us up to your action in this church, that we wouldn't be uh, passive, that we wouldn't be sleepy here, God, that we would be attentive to what you're speaking to us. And God, we pray that we'd be faithful to follow you in what you call us to do through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus speaks this parable, and it's early on in his parable teachings, and so people are really confused by this, because this is not how people teach, right? He's going around, he's telling stories about gardening, and he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God's like, and everybody's like, yeah, man, that's so cool. It's, it is, it's just like that, and then the disciples get him together in a house later, and they're like, Jesus, that was so cool when you were talking about the gardening and the, the whole soil thing and weeds and wheat, what in the world were you talking about? And he, he says to them, he's like, okay, I'll explain it to you. And he like just lays it out for them in uh, verse, verses 36 through 43. He kind of just gives you a, a direct, this is what it is. But I, I think it's fairly obvious for us. But we can't imagine ourselves right now, like we are in the house of Jesus. All of us, sitting in the room of Jesus. And he's just taught us this parable and he's explaining it to us. He's saying, look, the world is the field. It's out there, it's in here, it's everywhere. This is all the places we exist. That's the field. And there's this guy out there, and he's sowing good seed. That's God the Father, sowing seed, good seed into the world. But in that same field, on the other corner, there's this enemy. Jesus literally calls him Satan, the devil, is sowing weeds. He has literally gone out and bought bags of weed seeds, and he's throwing them in, and Jesus is putting out good seed, and Satan is throwing in these weeds, and they're growing up together. Now, the option is that Jesus could go in and weed it all out, but he knows if I weed the, all the weeds out of this, this field, then I will pull up the wheat too. So instead, what he's doing, he says, no, we're going to wait. We're going to let both the weeds and the wheat grow together until the end of the age, until, until I'm coming back. And at that time, there's going to be a great harvest, and the weeds are going to be stacked on one side, and they're going to be burned because you don't want those seeds getting back into the wheat. And then the wheat is going to be gathered into the house of God. It's pretty plain what he's talking about. The scandalous part about this passage, though, is not that there's going to be judgment, even though we don't like judgment. The scandalous part about this passage is this, that the weeds and the wheat are in here, in this room. In this space, there is both weeds and wheat. 
that's really irritating to me because you know what I'm I'm kind of a I'm a romantic I'm an idealist I don't know how many of you are that way like you have this ideal world that ideal family ideal house ideal car um, you, you're romantic you're a dreamer maybe a perfectionist um, I, when I got into church ministry I dreamed of a pure church I dreamed of a, of a really pure church I I got into pastoring thinking look this place is messed up but when I get involved. It's going to be so good. We're going to make the perfect church because worship is going to be so good and the youth group is going to be so good. And, you know, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like the key to making this thing all work and be this perfect, pure church. But I found out that lead pastors get in the way of youth pastors and worship pastors making the perfect church over and over again, time and time again, lead pastors, they just get in the way because they're, they're angry, they're controlling, they're messy, they're addictive, they're hurtful seen it over and over again. So, you know, then I thought, you know, when I become the lead pastor, when I get the keys to my own community that I get to lead and to shepherd and to guide, I am going to make the perfect church. And uh, it's okay. And I'm looking at y'all. And I'm looking at myself and I realize that I have been messy, I have been angry, I have been controlling, I have been addictive, I have been hurtful. If I had my way, there'd be no weeds here. But if I had my way, I wouldn't be here as well because I have been a weed from time to time. You know, we, we get into church circles and we hear people kind of complain about their church. Oh, my church would be so great if it wasn't for this or for that. Or you hear people like that read their Bible. They love the book of Acts. You guys know these people. Have you ever encountered them? Just love them. Oh, we have just got to get back to the early church, right? The whole the Acts 2, 42, they're praying together. They're committed to the apostles' teaching. They're eating together, and they're selling their houses. And, you know, people that are saying this are like the ones that need help with their bills. Like, if only the rich people would sell their houses and help me, and it's just all mixed up. And we get these ideas of what would be perfect for church. And I got to tell you, when I hear people say, oh, if we could just go back to the early church, I want to say, which church? Which early church? You want to go back to Ephesus, where, where people were all messed up with, their, their gifts, they lost their first love, they were so focused on the religion that they forgot about Jesus, or maybe the church in Corinth where they were using their gifts as weapons against one another and they were divided against each other, or the church in Galatia who is not faithful, they're, they're being bound in underneath the slavery of, of circumcision and all kinds of things. There's all these issues going on in the early church. Which early church do you want to get back to? There was weeds in the early church. If there was not weeds in the early church, we would not have most of the New Testament because that's what Paul was writing about. Like, guys, this is going on. we got to take care of it. There are weeds in the early church. There are weeds here, but our desire is for a perfect place, a utopia where everybody thinks like us, acts like us, votes like us, uh, talks like us, looks like us. And that's why we see culturally across the, across the globe, really, whites move to their churches, blacks to move to their churches, Democrats move to their democratic states, Republicans go to rural spaces, Baptists go to their corners, Episcopalians go to their corners, and none of us are even sure if Catholics are Christians. They are. We, we just get divided from one another and go to these places because we want a pure utopian society, a pure utopian place where it's easy, it's nice, it's clean where there are no weeds, that the garden is neatly ordered with rows and lines, and we can go out there and we can enjoy the birds singing in the air, and we don't have to sweat or work. 
kind of funny because Genesis 3 says that that's exactly what's going to happen after the fall of man, that we would have to work for these things by the sweat of our brow, that the garden is not going to produce food without the sweat of our hands. We live in a world where the weeds are in with the wheat. We are in a church where the weeds are in with the wheat. We are in a great war. Everywhere we go, there is a battle between good and evil. You guys are really aware of this. The Bible makes it very clear. Ephesians, there's powers and principalities that are working against us that, that are from, from uh, hell. They're, they're not from God. In the book of Revelation, it says that there is a dragon, literally. It's like this idea that gives us this image of how powerful and angry and awful this evil power is. It figures it as a dragon who is enraged not just against individuals but against the whole church. It's out to destroy that God comes to give life and life and life and more life, and yet Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the weeds. The kingdom of God is here in this church, but so is Satan right now in this moment. I don't like that. I really don't. In Jesus' day, the people believed that when the Messiah would come, that, that the kingdom would be pure. In fact, there was the Pharisees actually believed, these were the people that Jesus often was kind of battling against, the Pharisees literally believed that unless they made the kingdom pure, the Messiah would never come. So they're like, we've got to get these right. We've got to like make rules so we don't break rules so that we don't break rules. We've got to get this right. And when everybody like starts taking a Sabbath and nobody is walking more than a few steps and when everybody is wearing the right clothing and when everybody is coming to church at the right time and saying the right prayers, then the Messiah will come and rescue us. If a weed sneaks into that kingdom when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to pull it out. He's going to kill him. It's done. Jesus is coming into this, this culture, and he's saying, no, that's not how this works. No, 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 no. Until the final judgment, until the last day, the kingdom of God is going to be a mix. Even here in church, things are going to be a little vague. Things are going to be a bit fuzzy. The more I thought about this, the worse it became, because then I started thinking about the parables around it. Like God, in the first parable, what Heidi preached last week, he's just indiscriminately sowing seed. He doesn't care what kind of soil is receiving it. He's just like, here's seed for everybody. Every soil type, come receive seed. That's just, that's just crazy. Just invest it in the good soil, God. And then he teaches this parable, and it, and it says that Satan is in the church. There's wheat and there's weeds. And then he goes on to say that the church is like a mustard seed. It's a little tiny thing that nobody notices. It has to be buried in the ground, but when it's buried in the ground, eventually, someday, way down the line, it's going to grow and flourish and fill the whole earth, and everybody will come to know the glory of God. But that's not yet. Right now, it's still a little tiny seed. It's like, great. I want big, flashy, exciting, right? I want success. I want things to, I want lots of people coming to Jesus. I want powerful worship. I want, I want people just falling down on their face in the presence of God because he's so real and so here. But it's small, and it's hidden, and it's infected with weeds. That is the reality that we live in as the remnant of God in this age and every age before. It may look to some of us like evil is everywhere. If you watch the news, you listen to the radio, you look down the street, you go up on campus, you, it just looks like things are falling apart all around us. Like culture is turning against morality. 
It's, it's just dark and broken. We hear stories of murders and rapes and all kinds of stuff and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and volcanoes and people dying in so many varied ways. It looks like evil is all around us, but be encouraged. Heidi brought mem- reminded us of this last week from Julian of Norwich. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be absolutely well. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This tiny seed, it will grow, and it will fill the whole earth, and all the world will see the power and glory of God. It may look like we are surrounded and about to disappear. It may look like things are coming apart at the seams. We are not surrounded by evil. We are surrounded by God, and he is working everything together for the good of those who love him. Every loss, every battle, every trial, every pain, every evil will all someday be worked together for the good of God's kingdom. Are you awake? You, you kind of have a, a dazed look about you. You're still getting your brain around the hole. There's weeds in here, aren't you? But the good news is that God is working. But in the meantime, it looks like the evil weeds might choke out the goodness of the church and the world. When I joined the church, when I w- chose to become leader in a church, I, I just didn't expect weeds. I didn't. But here we are. Here we are. Jesus said to John the Baptist, so John the Baptist was in a time of weeds. He was in prison. He was about to lose his life. He was about to be beheaded. And he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you're him? Are you sure you're the one? And Jesus' response to him is this, is that blessed is the one who does not fall because of me, fall away because of me. He's, what he's saying is, blessed is the one who isn't confused by what they see going on around them but stays faithful to me. So we see scandals in the church. We see how convoluted people's motives are for some, sometimes when they serve, when they tr- say I'm loving people. We see hypocrisy. We see power grabs. We see anger. We see hatred. And a lot of times in the name of Jesus. We get knocked around a few times in the church and it's easy to be tempted to just throw in the towel and walk away. It's easy to just say, this place is so full of weeds, I can't survive here. This place is so full of weeds, what they're talking about, that's, this has nothing to do with Jesus. It's easy to just throw in the towel and walk away. But Jesus is calling us to be a faithful remnant, content in our circumstances, and trusting God to do the weeding, to sort it all out in the end when he comes. And in the meantime, we remain faithful. Verse 41 in this passage we read says, there will come a day when God will weed it out. He will sort it all out. I love that phrase. You know, we use that, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go sort out this problem. Or I gotta sort out that problem. It comes from this. We gotta sort it all out. God is the one who's gonna sort it out. <coughs> it is not us. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Now, I know that your temptation is like mine, which is to look around the room right now and say, where are the weeds? I think I see one back there, maybe over there. We want to go and get their re- get these weeds and pull them out. <coughs> and we say, if I could just get rid of this person from my small group, it would be an amazing small group. If I could just get this person to stop sitting in my row, worship would be fabulous. 
You know, things would be awesome if this person or that person would go away or this church or that church didn't exist or this leader or that leader stopped being in the news. The church would be just fine. And we think, these weeds, God, are absolutely messing up your name in the world. You mean these megachurch pastors who are having uh, multiple affairs and stealing money? This church in Texas who a plumber went in there and found a couple hundred thousand dollars stuffed behind a urinal? These churches are giving your, your name, God, a bad name in the world. And if we could just get rid of that, if we could just get rid of that. But the pastor tells us all churches are infected. You know, we really try to do a good job here at Pullman Foursquare being faithful to the word, faithful to Jesus, faithful to one another, loving and serving people to the best of our ability. But I know, and you now know, that the weeds are here too. It's in me too. So what do we do? The passage teaches us that we have to, and I'm going to say this really clearly, we have to judge very, very, very slowly. Three varies, okay? Three varies. I could even add a fourth, and it would probably be okay with Jesus. Four varies. We judge very, 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 very slowly. Verse 29 says, what should we do with the weeds? Should we pull them up? Just like Heidi, ask Heidi with the, the seeds. Should I pull these weeds up? No, because when you pull them up, you could uproot the wheat too. Even the best farmers could not distinguish between what was a weed and what was wheat. They were dealing with a weed called uh, a bearded, a bearded darnel. There it is. The word almost left me. The bearded darnel. They look identical. When they sprout, they look identical. When they're this tall, they look identical. When they're this tall, they look identical. Then they put out their seed. Then they look a little bit different. And by that time, they are so intertwined with the roots, you can't pull them apart. You have to wait until they're both ready for harvest. You just can't do it. The farmers couldn't do it. The workers couldn't do it. The owner couldn't do it. He said, no, we're waiting. So it's kind of like this. You think, you're thinking, oh, gosh, if we could just get rid of Jamie, <laughs> this church would be fabulous. But if you uprooted Jamie, you get rid of Heidi, too. And I know that would be hard on all of you. You could say that, I, like, when I wrote that in here, guys, I was, like, thinking what couples I could use. And I was like, if we get rid of Janice, then we get rid of Jan, too. Or if we got rid of Jamie Hawes, we get rid of Sherry, too. Or, you know, you, you guys get the point. You, you uproot one person to get them out of there, and you uproot another. That's, it's, it's wheat. It's goodness. The point of the passage is we don't have the skill to pull it out. We don't have the, the knowledge or the goodness in us to really be able to tell one from the other. And so what the passage is asking us to do is to relax, to relax and let God handle it. We say this in EHR and EHS all the time, right? Relax. The Holy Spirit has us. We don't have to fix, save, or correct one another. We're just letting the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work in the Holy Spirit's time. Jesus, in this passage, takes the final judgment out of our hands. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. Relax. Relax. You don't, you don't have to decide who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong. Now, that can really sound kind of soft, right? Like anything goes, anything's, anything's free and easy here. You can do whatever you want. And that's not really the case because Jesus is passionate against evil. And Jesus says he will act in his time, but he does move very slowly. But we get impatient because we see injustice in the world. We see injustice in the church. And we're like, come on, God, do something about this. Anything. 
We want God to do it, do more than he's doing. We want God to do it faster than he's doing. But he is on his time schedule, and he will not be rushed by you. He will not be rushed by me. And Jesus says to us, do not judge unless you will be judged as well. For the measure you use against somebody else will be measured against you. Now, this does not mean, okay, caveat, ready? This does not mean don't use discernment. Matthew 7, Jesus is saying there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. There's true, true prophets, there's false prophets. And it doesn't mean don't use your brain because God gave you a brain, right? Everybody in this room has one. You're breathing, you have a brain. Good news. Congratulations, you've got a brain. God gave you a brain. He gifted you with that mind, and he wants you to use it. It means we do not make final judgment against anyone ever. We just don't do it. Because we can't confidently assess somebody's character. We can't confidently see the fullness of their life. Every failure, every mistake, every goodness, every, every love, everything that they've done that is for the kingdom of God, we can't judge it all. And it's a question that pastors get. Do you, Pastor, do you think so-and-so's going to hell? You know, I've heard it about politicians. Do you think this politician's going to hell or that politician's going to hell? Do you think they're a Christian or not a Christian? Or, you know, a classic example, Hitler. Do you think Hitler went to hell? And I realize that in those moments when I'm being asked that question, there's really a temptation for me. The temptation to make a final judgment, to take the place of God and to say, oh yeah, that person's definitely going to hell. Or that person's probably not going to hell. Or that person, you know, Gandhi, he was so good. How could God send him to hell? I don't know. I am not God. And it is not for me to make that determination. And it is a temptation to be God myself. And instead, I need to say there is a God, and it's not me, and it's his job to sort it out. And he will, in faith, I believe he will sort it out. It is very easy to walk with an up, us and them mentality in the world, to categorize people by good and bad, right and wrong, stupid and smart, but God is calling us to a much deeper identity in him. He's calling us to, to a deeper place of trust in him. We look and we see pastors failing morally. You know, when I see that, my first thought is, oh, those guys are weeds. We got to get them out of the church. But rather than, rather than that, where I ought to be going is, oh, but there for the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, that would be me. I could be him. I could be her. I could be that person if it wasn't for God's intervention in critical moments of my life. That's where I would be. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. As a people, we tend to measure others by a standard of perfection that is unachievable. <coughs> we judge people all the time. People judge their pastors. Pastors judge their people. Parents judge their children. Children judge their parents, right? We look at people, oh, that person's really so spiritual. Did you hear how they talk? And Oh, and that person's not very spiritual. They can't seem to pray. <coughs> we look at people that have, have they, like, did they bring their Bible to church? Or are they raising their hands? You know, God doesn't like this person. God loves that person. Yeah. And then we cancel people, right? We live in cancel culture. We're like, this person made a mistake. They said something wrong. They were jerks whatever it was, I'm not ever listening to that person again. And so we cancel them and we set them aside. It's the culture we live in. But this passage is calling us as followers of Jesus to judge 
Let's say it together, shall we? Four varies. Very, 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 very slowly. And one of our best examples in the whole Bible, the guy that gets the most airtime in all of Scripture outside of Jesus is this guy named David, who as a little boy killed Goliath, right? You guys know this guy? He's a great man, gets all kinds of airplay, right up to when he actually steals somebody else's wife, commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, and then murders her husband, okay? <coughs> it's a mix. His life is a mix. It is, it's glorious and good, and it's great king, and it's horrible, utter failure. <coughs> and you and I, we're weeds, and we're wheat. We're a mix. It's who we are. The church is and always will be a mix. It will not be pure until Christ comes again. So we judge very, 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 very slowly. And I do want to say another caveat, that there is still a place for discipline in the church, right? We have the book of 1 Corinthians that talks about this. It's, it's saying, like, there is boundaries of belief, and we're called as leaders to set these boundaries, to say this is what this is this is godly this is not godly this is in this is out and there's also warnings about safety and protecting the church and keeping people out of the church that would seek to harm those in the church that's why the first century church set up this whole thing called catechism you had to learn for a full year before you were even allowed to come to worship you would meet just with one-on-one -on -one with another person for a full year because it wasn't safe we don't know are we letting a spy in so there's this space for the church to determine orthodoxy and to work and to wrestle, but it's really the boundary of leadership, and leadership is very weighty. It is so hard. The hardest decisions I've had to make ever as a human being have been decisions on who to, to, who to not allow, allow to be a part of us. It's painful, and it's never, ever easy. And we judge very, very, very slowly. And it is not an ultimate judgment because I have no idea what God's going to do in these people after the fact. But I do know this, that a false passion for a pure church is extremely dangerous. It has led to inquisitions. It's led to crusades. It's led to boycotts of funerals. It's led to excluding whole people groups from the body of Christ. So we have to judge very, 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 very carefully and very, very, very slowly and very, very, very humbly, and very, very, very prayerfully. And then, and maybe first, look at ourselves. That's what the call is. Again, in Matthew 7, there's this whole passage. I like to call it the plank eye passage, and you're familiar with it, right? You have a person that comes to you and says, hey, you got a speck in your eye, and they're, and they're like in the meantime, got a log sticking out of theirs, right? This is what the invitation of Jesus is. It's is, is not just to pull out the weeds and to be upset about the weeds, but to turn and look at yourself and say, hey, am I weed or am I wheat? And where are the weeds that are in me? Where are you working in me, Jesus? Jesus teaches us that Christians are not like other people. We don't look around and blame others for, for the impurity of the church. We don't look around and blame others for the mess in the world. We look at ourselves and we say, God, how do you want to use me to correct this? How do you want to use me to bring transformation to this world? It's so easy to look around at other people and just to judge them. Did they bring their Bibles? Why are they dressed like that? Why don't they raise their hands in worship? Why are they raising their hands in worship? That's weird. It's so much easier just to look at each other and to make judgments. But Jesus asks us to look at ourselves. And this is hard because we are defensive as a people. 
I know, it's like this is one of the other things we teach in EHR, speak from the eye, Jamie, speak from the eye, don't tell me what I do. Well, I know that when someone wants to correct me, I'm like, yeah, have you seen the three logs hanging out of your eyes? You know, you, we want to pick out a speck out of yours, Pastor Jamie, and I'm like, quickly, I'm like, oh, no, but look, you've got giant logs in yours. We get defensive. I, I turn, and when somebody wants to give me hard feedback, I've learned that I have a tendency to become defensive and maybe just a little sometimes combative and maybe a little bit sometimes angry and pushy. And it comes from a place of shame inside of me, of feeling broken and wrong when I am wrong. And you go to a place of fight or flight. I'm either going to put up my fist or I'm going to run away. I know this about me. But I also know that I can't begin to sort out my own stuff confidently. I can't begin to know everything that's going to come out of me in every moment because I'm a broken individual. There are weeds within me. And so I come humbly to look at my stuff. Parents will say things like, do as I say and not as I do. Anybody ever heard that before? Pastors do this all the time, okay? Like most of my sermons, you could probably encapsulate it to that. Do as I say, not as I do. And we'll say things like, we got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, but I am rushing from thing to thing to thing all throughout the week. I do it I get all the time. There's certain days of the week, my schedule's just packed, and I'm like, I'm coming to things just breathless. And you know, God wants us to slow down so we can be in his presence. And I'm done preaching it to you, and I'm teaching it to you. Slow down, people. We got to slow down. Or I'll say to you, trust Jesus. Everything else is sinking sand. And then when it comes to making the simple decisions about simple things in life, I'm freaking out, okay? I'm just struggling to make the right decisions. Or I'll say, you know what? We got to learn to speak honestly to one another. We got to learn to tell each other when we've been hurt. We've got to learn to be kind in our speech but we also have to be honest in our speech. And then I will withhold the truth from somebody or I won't say what I'm thinking or feeling or when I've been hurt or run over. It is so much easier to say, do as I say and not as I do. And it's because I just don't have a pure enough heart to judge what is good and evil all the time and to know what is coming out of me all the time. And so I have to confess there is a God and it's not me. This is not a condemnation to look at yourself. It's not to go to this place of self-loathing and hate and anger. It's honest self-assessment in the loving presence of Jesus. And that's why we teach you the skill to turn to wonder in our emotionally healthy spirituality classes. And I'm going to teach it to you this morning. It's this great skill. When you come to a place where you are looking at yourself, or you get into a place where somebody says something, you gives you feedback, uh, it challenges your, your speck in your eye, and you find yourself getting defensive and angry or hurt or ready to run or you're feeling you know, triggered somehow, say this, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. That is in self-inspection. That's looking at yourself first. I wonder why I'm feeling this way. What does my reaction tell me about me? I'm not worried about what they're thinking. I'm not worried about what's going on in them. Their weeds are their weeds. Let's get into my weeds. It's time to wade into some weeds here. I wonder why I can't listen to that person when they talk about politics this way. I wonder why I can't love that person because they dress this way. I wonder why I can't accept this person because of their sexuality or, or their, their political beliefs or whatever it happens to be, their age or their weight or all the reasons that we judge one another. Turn to wonder what is going on in me and what are the weeds that God is trying to address in me.
The good news of this passage is this, though, that judgment will come in the end. And it really is good news from this perspective, because as we look at our own weeds and the stuff that's going on in us, it's a joy to believe that someday I will no longer struggle with the things I struggle with today. You will no longer be bound up with the things you are bound up today because you will stand before God and he will judge wheat from weeds within you. And all of those weeds will be pulled out and burned away. And yes, it might be painful, but it is going to be so, so good because you will stand pure and holy on the other side of that. And the same is true of the church, that God will judge the wheat from the weeds. He will pull the weeds out. Things will be different, and it will be painful. But at the other side, there will be a pure and spotless bride if we remain faithful. One day, God will do all of the weeding. And in the meantime, we're to work with him in the garden of our lives. We're to work with him in the garden of our lives. So I wanted to give a closing question. I have no idea what time it is because I can't see the clock anymore. But a closing question for us to ponder for just a moment is this. Who do you find that it is easy for you to judge? God is calling us to judge very, very, very slowly, very humbly, very gently, and to allow him to be judged. Who do you find that it's easy for you just to reject and to judge than it is for you to accept and to love? Because I believe that God is inviting you to allow him to be the gardener and to just love these people, whoever they may be. Let's take a moment and consider that, and we'll invite God's invitation. Christians should be the least judgmental people in the whole world. Say that again. Christians should be the least judgmental people in the whole world. We should be the most loving, the most kind, the most generous, the most passionate, the most whole people in the whole world. But we're wheat and weeds. We're wheat and weeds, and God is faithfully working the garden. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to just close with the doxology, I think. God, we come um, humbly, confessing that things aren't what we want others to see necessarily that the truth of what's going on inside of us is both wheat and weeds. We openly confess this to you. And God, we ask that you would teach us to trust you, to trust and obey as we walk through our lives this week. God, would you open our hearts to see the wheat and weeds within ourselves? Would we be 
not heart of heart and heart of ear and, and like deaf of ear and blind in our sight, but that we would see, that we would hear, and that we would be soft to be able to hear and see what you were showing us within us. May we turn inward and look to ourselves before we judge others. God, may we become the least judgmental church in the world. May we be the kindest, humblest, most open people. God, shape us and transform us into your image, the image of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us very much. In Jesus' name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in the love of Jesus and the trust that he is sorting things out in you. Knowing that he loves you very much, and so do Heidi and I, and we will be here again next week. Go in the grace of the Lord this week. Love people. Amen.